Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Welcome to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. Well, today's guest has been named one of the most influential women in technology by Fast Company, and she's the award-winning author of the Networked Nonprofit book. She is an internationally acclaimed master trainer, blogger, and speaker. And she has been most recently researching the impact of automation on the nonprofit sector. And that's going to be our focus with today's show. Beth, it is great to have you on the show today. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. All right, Beth. So we are living in the age of automation. I mean, from robots that will clean our house to those who can provide companionship, the age of the bots has arrived. Now, this has ramifications for many sectors of society. But for my audience today, um, help us, Beth, to unpack what this really means for today's nonprofit leaders. Um, sure. So um, so let me begin with the sort of uh, phrase, age of automation. And, um, and it was actually coined by Jeremiah Alyang who is, you know, uh, an analyst, and it was a report that was looking at, you know, we've had a decade of social media, what's the next disruptive technology? And he coined the phrase age of automation, of course, to mean um, robots, chatbots, artificial intelligence, machine learning, conversational interfaces, and smart devices like driving cars. So, um, so when I think about that phrase, and um, I, I'm not sure automation is the right concept for nonprofits, and I'll explain that in a minute. So no matter what catchphrase we're using to describe these technologies, um, they're increasingly becoming the interface between humans and organizations. Um, and so there's a lot of potential benefits to nonprofits, you know, you know, and it can ha- it's going to have impact on every aspect of leading and managing uh, a nonprofit, wh- whether it's fundraising, external communications, marketing, program delivery, and of course even internal um, management. And I know we'll probably talk about a few specific examples in a moment. Um, and, and these will help you save time. Um, and, you know, for example, a chatbot can be around online to answer questions from the people your nonprofit serves, and they can be there 24-7, and that will save, you know, staff time. Or you can use an algorithm uh, to uh, search through your donor base and come back with some predictive recommendations about who are the most likely potential donors to become major donors based on um, based on what it has understood and analyzed in your existing database. So there are, of course, you know, many risks. Um, uh, just a few. Uh, we hear about loss of jobs. And sort of as a side note, um, it's really interesting to go to wellrobotstakemyjob.com and type in your job and see what the percentage is that you'll, uh, you'll end up unemployed. There's something called algorithmic discrimination which is a really fancy word if you throw it around at cocktail parties. <laughs> people think you're smart. Um, but that's basically, you know, it, uh, you know, we have inherent bias in our society. And if people who are building 
the humans building the algorithms aren't aware of that, we could sort of scale discrimination and, and racism. There's issues around transparency and, and privacy. So what I think nonprofit leaders need to really think about is not automation um, uh, uh, versus augmentation, you know, not as a smackdown between flesh and code, but uh, code, uh, but more as partnership. So don't think of these technologies as taking over humanity, um, but really, how do you best deploy them to augment your mission and to better serve your stakeholders? So, and to do that, I think nonprofit leaders really need to ensure kind of a human-first orientation, and of course, adhere to ethical standards, which are right now yet to be <laughs> defined across different sectors, let alone the nonprofit sector. So think about. Uh, how these technologies can really augment what your organization is doing and work in partnership to get more impact for your mission. Beth, you do a lot of writing. I encourage my listeners to actually check out your blog. Now, you write in a recent article that opportunities to converse with chatbots are growing, whether through smartphones, tablets, home appliances, virtual personal assistants, or our cars. In fact, by 2020, according to Gartner analysis, listen to this, the average person will have more conversations with bots than with their spouse. That is a little hard to fully grasp, I think. Um, this is a quickly arriving reality that for a lot of us, like, no way, this could never happen. But the trends are moving in that direction. And again, they're saying by 2020, this will be the case. So now as we think about our nonprofit organizations, what does this mean for our donor communication specifically, but also just for our overall communication more generally? Um, uh, sure, sure. So I know uh, probably you talk to a lot of uh, nonprofit leaders, executive director, and I'm sure we all know that what keeps them up at night, uh, the answer is likely to be funding and money. So no matter the size of their group or their missions, um, they're advancing. Odds are their organizations are both perpetually tight for cash and under constant pressure to meet never-ending deadlines for services. So, so really, I think uh, bots um, – uh, and AI, artificial intelligence, can be a terrific benefit in raising money. So here's just two ways with two examples. First, increasing engagement. And one of my favorite examples for this is a bot called Yeshi. And it was one of the first bots that I actually saw. It was done actually 2016. And it was a, a Facebook Messenger bot. And it was developed by Charity Water. And um, they were raising uh, awareness of an issue for the organization. So it's kind of like a virtual young girl in Ethiopia. Um, and she's, and the intent is that she can educate people about the six hour walk that many girls and women must make in Ethiopia to get clean water. And so the conversation with Yessi is really smart, meaning she asks and answers questions with a variety of images, maps, texts, and videos. And it's really, really engaging. But what if um, Yeshi was smart in another way? You know, what if she was programmed to manipulate people's emotions to encourage them to donate even more money? So one of the things, while they can be helpful and beneficial in this kind of donor engagement, where's that line between cultivation and manipulation and really who determines it? Another example is, and I mentioned this earlier, was uh, to identify potential donors. And, and there's even software now. Um, it's called First Draft. Um, developed by a company called Gravity, and it uses artificial intelligence and algorithms to identify the right time to cultivate prospective donors, and then it 
does a first draft of fundraising emails. So the software also generates a, uh, a weekly action plan for staff members that includes suggestions for reaching out to donors with a personal touch and showing their gifts manner and how to follow up. And when I've talked to major gift um, officers, I, I get this dual reaction of horror and joy. The joy is, wow, that could free up so much of my time, you know, researching through the data and putting those reports together. Uh, but also the horror of, oh, wow, could a, you know, could this algorithm replace my job? And, you know, I don't, I don't think so because it still will take that human touch to cultivate the donor. Um, but it also shows that a, a lot of time um, spent on kind of rote tasks, um, uh, you know, can be freed up and applied to other areas that can uh, have probably maybe more impact for the nonprofit. So let's talk about um, communication in general, and let me share two other examples. Um, and these are great. Uh, the first one's really simple, and I really like it for that because it's really thought out. It comes from Climate Reality, and it's a Facebook Messenger bot. And it's really well designed to educate supporters and build the organization's email list for action alerts. And um, and what's cool about it is that they used a bot authoring platform, so they didn't have to know how to, you know, code algorithms. And it's a really simple bot. It uses closed-ended options um, to funnel supporters to different to different areas, you know, do you want to sign up for our newsletter? Do you want to hear from us? It's also um, getting permission uh, from supporters for the bot to interact with them on Facebook. And so then we're going to start seeing more messaging coming to supporters through Messenger. So, um, you know, so, and and they've been tracking their conversion rate, you know, because part of it is to build their list, and they've had, um, you know, quite a bit of success with that. Another example that I really like comes from a UK charity called MenCap, um, which provides support and services to children with learning disabilities and their parents. Um, so MenCap has a chat bot on its website as part of a public education effort called uh, a campaign they did called Here I Am, and um, and so the uh, so the campaign is intended to help people understand what it's like to have a learning disability through the experience of being a learning disabled um, chatbot named Aaron. So the bot, the bot's somewhat limited, but it does answer questions and um, and uh, people get a chance to, uh, you know, interact with it and kind of understand what is, you know, what is a learning disability. And, um, and, and it's been valuable because MenCap has evaluated this and they've had uh, reported, you know, a 3% increase in awareness of its charity due to the bot. So those are two simple examples of bots being used by nonprofits for external communications, one in program delivery and the other in marketing. Now, of course, there's a lot of negatives about automation, but let's talk about the positive uses of automation. You mentioned that the World Food Program developed and tested the FoodBot, which is a Facebook Messenger bot, to interact with people they serve by providing information on WFP services and food prices and weather updates and nutrition and disease prevention even. So on the surface, this sounds great. Uh, it's a very efficient way to disperse information about a critical issue, hunger, right? Um, you would think it'd be something we'd all would support. Uh, what are some of the other examples of positive uses of automation that you have seen being implemented so far? Um, sure. Let me give you a couple examples. So let's go to the museum world. And I you know I'm here in the Bay Area in San Francisco, and I go to San Francisco MoMA. 
maybe you know this or maybe you don't, but do you know that they have almost 35,000 um, items in their art collection? And if all of them were displayed, <laughs> you'd have to walk uh, 121 miles to see every single um, uh, art item in their collection. And so they, they don't ever get a chance to show the entire collection, obviously, and it, and it rotates. Um, so they created this uh, bot called Send Me, and it's a um, text messaging bot. And basically, you text the keyword to it, and it'll send back a picture of art matching the idea, words, or phrase texted. So what the, the this bot does for the museum is that it unlocks all the artwork uh, for the museum for virtual viewing by anyone, anywhere, anytime, something it can't do physically in its space because it's physically limited. Um, so I, And it's actually a lot of fun. I, I actually started texting words to it, and I got back pieces of art. And then, I, oh, what else does it have? And so it's it's really engaging. Um, another example, we'll go back to international development, because they seem to be some of the early adopters, uh, because mostly because a lot of those large agencies have innovation units, and that's where a lot of these kinds of projects are being piloted. So they implemented a bot called uh, You Report, and the purpose was to engage young people on a variety of issues. And so the bot was available through Twitter and also Facebook Messenger. And what it does, and it was done in like a number of different countries, and so it would poll its followers, young people who were called you reporters, on a range of topics, and then they would use that data to help shape um, public policy. So they had some early um, successes. Uh, for example, in, in Liberia, the bot asked over 13,000 young people if teachers at their schools were exchanging grades for sex, and some 86% said yes. Um, uncovering a widespread problem and uh, prompting Liberia's Minister of Education to work with UNICEF to address it. Um, another example, um, and this is in public health, um, and uh, the, uh, if you recall, there uh, about a year or so ago, there was an outbreak of a um, Zika virus, uh, mosquito-borne illness, and um, and so a public health organization in Puerto Rico piloted something called the Zika bot, um, basically a chat bot service that let Puerto Ricans ask anonymous questions about Zika and receive accurate and timely information. So um, so the an anonymity of the chat bot conversation emboldened users to ask very personal and revealing questions. I'll just end with another great example from Oxfam, and this is an example of using bots for internal communication. And right now, Oxfam, you know, it has a lot of employees, probably around over 10,000. They use this um, internal bot suite, if you will, uh, to alleviate uh, rote and time-consuming tasks. So, so if people want to share ideas. Um, in this, you know, across different affiliates, you know, one person can't know all 10,000 staff members. And so you certainly don't want to do an email where you reply all to everybody. That would be overload everybody with email. But yet, on the other hand, if you're trying to learn and have, you know, get new ideas, you don't want to just be talking to the same people or people in your department. Uh, you want to be able to you know, branch out and ask, get new ideas and input maybe across departments. So it, there's an algorithm that can kind of sweep through people's emails and help you figure out who should you reach out to to get input or, or develop new knowledge. Another thing um, that was happening is that um, 
there's there was a lot of internal jargon that Oxfam uses, and when new people came on board, it was really um, hard for them to sort of get up to speed because they're oh, what does that word mean? <laughs> what does that acronym mean? You know, what is that organization? You know, the CBD or whatever. Um, so they have the jargon bot. <laughs> so somebody could like call up the jargon bot and ask them, you know, what that what that jargon means or what that acronym means, and um, and and they they wouldn't have to waste time looking it up in district all different places. Hey everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Show. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you were aware of a whole group of other interviews with fascinating guests that I've previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and there you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I think you'll really enjoy those interviews. Now, I also want to make sure you knew about a new feature. Um, we want to give you more content, and we'd like to get that information to you. And all you have to do is give us your email. When you go to that website, you can put your email address in that first box you'll see on the front page, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. In addition to some great content, you'll see the latest uh, podcast shows that will be actually sent right to your inbox. And that way, you'll never miss any of the great content on this show. The other thing I'll mention to you is if you have questions or comments or you'd like to be on the show, do not hesitate to email me. I'd love to hear from you. Just do that through our website, my email, rob at ccofpc.org. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Well, you certainly have provided some good examples of positive uses of bots, uh, but not all technology and automation is exactly neutral. In fact, we've seen that how Amazon or Netflix can manipulate your book or movie choices by presenting only certain ones, right? Um, now, what are some of the real serious concerns about the unethical use of bots that you have uncovered? And what are the specific negative implications for nonprofits? Um, sure. So, in general, I think I would list uh, the risk, you know, uh, you know, loss of jobs, um, uh, uh, algorithmic discrimination, as I mentioned, sort of having transparency of when you're talking to a bot um, and what you're doing with the information, and, of course, assuring donor or client um, privacy. I think um, when we think about it for fundraising, I think, audit, you know, automation, if used um, in the wrong ways, could really turn donor cultivation into donor manipulation and kind of cracks open the door for fundraisers to use the information they've gathered through chatbots and other conversational technology to manipulate people into giving more than they would otherwise. Some people say, so what's wrong with that? Um, I, you know, I don't think it's a, a theoretical concern because um, let me give you an example. There is a, um, a chatbot out there called Wobot, and it's a chatbot that's popular with people who use uh, Facebook Messenger, and um, and it's intended to you know to have you know to help people who have mental health concerns um, to get information about their issue. So over time, uh, Wobot is going to know an incredible amount of information about a person's life and their vulnerabilities. Um, but there's no current plans to misuse this data right now. However, there's no regulation stopping the company from changing its policy. So what happens if the creators of Wobot decide they want to use all of that data or monetize it and um, and they insert subtle requests for money into these conversations? Or what if they um, 
get funding and support from a pharmaceutical organization, and they're giving that kind of information to the pharmaceutical company. So there's, you know, some ethical grayness there that could be crossed. So I think it boils down, um, you know, for nonprofit leaders and being prepared about this. I mean, really, on one hand, I think we need kind of like a sector-wide conversation about this and a set of standards. And covering questions like, you know, what parts of our work will benefit from greater efficiency without reducing the humanness of our efforts? Um, do we have a privacy policy for the use and sharing of data uh, through automation? Does the policy emphasize protecting data of end, end users? And is that policy easily accessible by the public? If we're implementing a bot, do we make it clear that people are talking to a bot, you know, and not a person? Um, are we regularly including clients and end users um, as advisors when we're developing these programs and services um, uh, for bots that are doing program delivery? So we're avoiding kind of any um, systemic or inherent biases. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions um, that you, you need to consider. So what do we do? Give us some ways that we can best utilize the positive uses of automation for our nonprofits. Um, sure, sure. So, of course, the concerns I just raised, the scary stuff, you know, I think there's going to be a demand for advocacy for new protections and maybe a new focus for watchdog and monitoring organizations. But at the same time, again, I think nonprofit leaders need to seize the moment, right, and to reimagine a new way of working and to be more innovative. So specifically, I think there's four, four steps or four things to, um, to make it a little bit more practical. So to understand the adoption um, trends, you don't have to be an expert coder in artificial intelligence or, or, you know, or know how to code, but you should understand, you know, what each of these technology is. Look at the, the current examples on my blog. I've been tracking a lot of them. Um, there's also a number of uh, policy papers coming out um, specifically for civil society uh, th that would be important to take a look at. Uh, the International Red Cross just um, released a report on the current and potential uses of messaging app and chatbots, chatbots in humanitarian situations. So become familiar with uh, the, 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 the emerging reports that are out there around adoption trends, specifically in the nonprofit sector. Um, there's not a plethora of them yet, but they're starting to come out. Uh, get some hands-on experience with chatbots developed for social good purposes. I have a curated list. Um, so um, I designed my own chatbot for uh, my Facebook um, uh, page. And in the design process, I went and interacted with a lot of other bots out there, you know, from the Pope's bot <laughs> to the Whiskey bot, uh, to climate change bot, um, and again, I have a, a link I can share of a curated list. So go out and interact with them, see how they work, see how it makes you feel as an end user. And then design a simple pilot. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the age of automated Age of automation um, technologies are, you know, are not a spectator sport. It's really a contact uh, contact sport. So it's time to get in the sandbox and try it out for your organization and start by determining, a, you know, a, a small measurable objective. You know, is it really, you know, to learn about, you know, what this technology can do or is it? more concrete, like you want to build your mailing list or uh, you want to be able to reply to supporters 24-7 on Facebook. So figure out, like, you know, what your goal is, 
who the intended audience might be. It might be useful to come up with some personas, maybe do a little um, design workshops, to, you know, and you, with our focus groups with end users, um, to see how they react to some of your prototypes, and um, and determine, you know, a, a budget. It doesn't have to be huge, but maybe a small budget. Um, um, uh, you know, there's certainly there's a lot of um, low cost chatbot authoring tools out there, like ManyChat, ChatFuel. You don't have to hire um, uh, you know, an expensive programmer right off the bat. Again, we're talking about a simple low-risk pilot. And then evaluate it and iterate. You know, run your pilot for a few months, gather data against your goal. Uh, you can interview some people who interacted with it. And based on this inter- um, I- initial feedback, begin to improve how your bot may be used and get better results. Is it ready to scale? Well, it's interesting, Beth, because a lot of the push behind having bots in our lives is the idea that they'll save us time and help us be more efficient, right? Now, this relates to another topic that you've written quite a bit about. So I'm going to go off subject just a bit, but it's related to the technology that we have around us. And it's that idea of well-being in the nonprofit workplace. So here's my question. Why is it that with all of our time-saving devices and technology, Are leaders in the nonprofit sector and for-profit sector, why are leaders still burning out and struggling to find a healthy balance in their work? Now, I understand that you found quite a bit of evidence from your research that focusing on resilience in the workplace is an essential strategy for sustainable results. Share more about that. Talk a bit about that. Why is resilience so important to focus on? Oh, gosh, what a great question. I love that question. You know, um, I wrote the um, Happy Healthy Nonprofit Strategies uh, for Impact Without Burnout based on a, a personal experience that I had of, of burnout. And, um, and it took, you know, it took, uh, you know, I, I suffered from passion fatigue. I was, you know, working nights and weekends. I was cheating on my sleep. I, you know, I wasn't doing exercise, getting a good night's sleep, eating healthy foods. And, and I actually, uh, went into my doctor and I had some tests taken and my um, uh, cholesterol test came back over the charts. And so my doctor had said to me, if you just walk <laughs> every day for 20 minutes, it would really help you. So I, instead of rolling my eyes, because I heard this advice before, I uh, strapped on a Fitbit and I started walking and I built it up to where I'm walking over 15,000 steps a day. And I went back to my doctor, had my, um, test taken and they all came into the normal range but something else happened and that was that I felt better and I was getting more work done even though I was spending less time in front of my computer and at my desk um, and so it dawned on me that you know that really taking care of yourself whether it's taking walks getting a good night's sleep helps you do the work better and helps you sustain it for the long term so um so also at the same time, I was at a convening for social change networks, and I met uh, the, the chair of the chapter from um, Black Lives Matters uh, in New York. And he was telling the story about how uh, at the height of Ferguson in the summer of 2015, they were, um, like, really feeling burnout. And they came into their meeting. They realized that they needed to each uh, practice self-care as part of doing the work together, or something I called we care. So, um, so I mean, we can take care of ourselves, but we also have to bring this into the workplace. So then I started to look at, you know, uh, the, the, do a research scan of what is the connection between resilience and well-being and productivity. And, it, you know, it turns out that working these, you know, eight-hour weeks doesn't really help you get better results. 
it's not any more than working, you know, 50 hours a week is the same as working 80. There's, there's no gains. So, um, uh, you know, so, so that's what kind of led to the book that it's kind of a both end. You need to take care of yourself and you also need to activate this culture of well-being. And the reason to do this, to answer your question, why it's so important is that, um, uh, you know, for one thing, if your organization gets a reputation for being a pressure cooker or a toxic workplace, you know, word is going to get around, especially with this next generation of nonprofit leaders. And it's going to become more difficult to retain people as well as to recruit top talent. And anybody who has gone through trying to hire for a position knows that, you know, what it's like. You have to find the right person. That takes time. You have to interview them. You have to then select the right person, hope you made the right choice, hope they're the right fit. Um, and then you ha- they have to train and get up to speed before you, you know, get that benefit. So if you, ha- if you have a toxic workplace and a stressed pressure cooker and that's the culture, you're going to have a revolving door. Well, I really have found it fascinating that creating a culture of well-being in a nonprofit is not only beneficial for the current staff, but it actually helps prevent turnover and attracts top talent for the future. So how does a nonprofit create this culture of well-being that you talk about? What are some practical steps that they can implement and how can automation maybe help or hurt with this pursuit? What a great question. So let me start with the first piece. Um, you know, it does come down to leadership. So, you know, if leaders aren't engaged with this or on board, it's going to be hard hard to um, get it rolling. Uh, it's not only leadership, but it's also employee engagement. Um, well-being is not something that's dumped on employees. They have to have input. They have to co-design it, if you will. And what we're when it, at the end of the day, what we're talking about is culture change, and it's not something where you just check off a list or you flip a switch and things change. You have to actively work at it with you know with small incremental steps if you're looking to shift the culture. So um, so and all, a lot of this is laid out in the book, the Happy Healthy Nonprofit. But one um, exercise that I do with organizations, that especially at their staff retreats when they're trying to focus on this is an exercise called the five F and they're all F words we can say, but um, it's based on a, a, a culture, uh, organizational cultural framework developed by um, uh, 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 Laura Bolton. And um, the five F's are questions to ask about your culture. Um, and they kind of mirror Maslow's hierarchy of um, needs. And at the bottom level, do we have um, do we have everything uh, uh, for people to function at the job? You know, fitness, food. You know, are there staples in the stapler, so to speak? The next level up, do we have um, uh, have we addressed the friendship factor? Um, do people get along? Do they feel connected to one another? What about the the, fee- the next level up is feelings. How do people feel? <laughs> do they feel appreciated? Um, do they feel excited and engaged to work there? Um, so that's the feelings level. At the next level, we have the forward factor. Do people have opportunities to advance and forward their skills? Um, are there opportunities for professional development, uh, learning on the job, stretch assignments, all the those sorts of things. And at the top end, fulfillment. Um, How connected are people to the mission? Are we being inspired on a regular basis? Um, Well, I really anticipate that this podcast is going to be a wake-up call for many. 
So Beth, for my listeners, how can they find out more about you, your blog, and how can they get more information about your upcoming book? Um, sure. The best place would be to go to my blog, uh, which is www.bethcantor.org. And at the blog, you'll see on the sidebar, you'll see a link to the Happy Healthy Nonprofit. It will take you to Amazon. Uh, you'll notice that there's lots of different categories that I write about. I'm uh, generally two areas. I'm either writing about uh, digital transformation, which includes the bots, <laughs> social media, networks, and then I also write about um, workplace culture um, and well-being in the workplace. My guest again today has been Beth Cantor. Beth has been named one of the most influential women in technology by Fast Company and is an award-winning author of the Networked Nonprofit book. She's an internationally acclaimed master trainer, blogger, and speaker. And she's focusing some of her new research on the impact of automation on the nonprofit sector. And I really encourage you to check out her blog and a little bit more about what she does because she has some great insights for all of us nonprofit leaders. Great. Thanks so much, Rob. I really enjoyed it. And I loved your questions. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.